begin. Hey, you're listening to Mass Ave. Um, we are coming into a busy week in Washington. Um, I know one of the big issues, of course, that's back on the agenda is health care reform. Always. Always. It hasn't been. It's been nonstop for the last couple of years. It just seems like Obamacare, Obamacare, Obamacare. Obamacare. So. And I know that they had the kind of their celebratory victory lap when they passed the HCA in the House, but now it's in the Senate and they're uh, waiting for the CBO report. They uh, they got that wildly wrong in 2008. Uh, we'll hear more about that from Drew in a little bit. But yeah, CBO reports expected Wednesday. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what those results are. Um, and also, the president's budget is coming up. That one's going to be interesting. As it yeah. coming, it comes out Tuesday, correct? Yeah, I think it's Tuesday. Um, I don't know. I think I was reading today that some of the big issues that are going to be popping in there are. Um, uh, SDI benefits, major entitlement cuts. Um, so I imagine there's going to be some controversy surrounding it. No, absolutely. And it's expected to keep the increase in defense spending as well. So I yeah. don't think liberals are going to be too happy about that one. Yeah. Well, balancing a budget in 10 years, I guess, requires some <laughs> degree of massive cuts. So <laughs> It's also impossible to keep liberals happy at all anyway at this it's, point in time. Yeah, that's true. Looking forward to some outrage on my Facebook page <laughs> in the next in the next few days. So, um, My mom will definitely have a fiery Facebook quote ready. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I usually don't go on Facebook during those days. So, well, you'll you'll have to... T- Tune me in on what what's going on. <laughs> and to that point, we are talking to Tommy Binion, who um, is going to give us a little bit of a preview on the president's budget. Back from a vacation, tanner than John Boehner. So um, let's talk about, first of all, the president's budget is supposed to be unveiled this week. So, Tommy, maybe you can give us a little bit of a preview of what to expect and kind of what's going to happen on the Hill with it. Sure. Well, first thing tomorrow morning, the president's budget is going to become public. Um, we expect it to focus on national security, to focus on balancing the budget, which means significant cuts on the domestic spending side, and to focus on jobs. Um, it's called a taxpayer's first budget. I think it's going to take some bold stands. There's going to be um, a lot of good things for conservatives to be excited about in that budget. Um, there will be a few things, uh, paid family leave and some other um, instances that snuck into this budget budget that conservatives are going to be unhappy with. But um, overall, I think the president is really leading on the budget. Director Mulvaney is really leading. Um, This will be the best of any budget document, uh, official budget document we see. The House's budget and the Senate's budget won't be um, near as good. The president's budget is going to balance in 10 years, uh, which is important. Um, and which is something obviously President Obama failed to do um, in all of his budgets. Um, and so I, I expect the left to freak out like they did um, over his FY17 skinny budget. Uh, all, all their hoopla about programs uh, like Meals on Wheels and, and, and other programs that um, are funded on the private side being defunded on the public side. So um, we'll look forward to uh, more freak out on the left. And with, uh, I mean, when you mentioned the FY17 skinny budget, um, when that budget went to Congress, a majority of it, I would say a majority of the president's issues were, were stripped out of that. Do you see a similar process happening with the FY18 budget? Well, some of it's going to stay. Um, the increases uh, on defense spending, on national security spending, and hopefully most of the increases on border security spending will be maintained by the Congress. Um, 
those increases are, are sure to stay. The decreases, the cuts the president's proposing um, are uh, less popular within the Congress because that you know they have um, political reasons not to not to engage in steep cuts. Thus, our current fiscal crisis, right? Uh, so, in short, I think uh, there, a lot of president's proposals will be in the budget, but the the really fiscally responsible ones that get us towards balance uh, won't be reflected. Although um, Chairman uh, Diane Black of the House Budget Committee has said that her budget will balance in 10 years. Uh, whether how, how she accomplishes that remains to be seen. We'll find out probably the first week of June. Uh, so what do you see some of the big um, components of the budget proposal that are going to freak out progressives? Well, so, uh, you know, um, for five years or so, there have been um, dollar for dollar increases on defense spending and domestic spending. So um, actually, let's rewind even further back than that and go to 2009. One of the first things President Obama and the uh, supermajority in the Democratic Senate passed was an economic stimulus plan. Uh, that cost us almost a trillion dollars. That was basically all domestic spending, um, all these huge increases in these federal programs, um, expanding the footprint of the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are these are programs the federal government has no business participating in in the first place, much less at the exceedingly high cost um, that they have been in now. So now that we have a conservative in the White House and a, and a uh, Republican majority in the House and Senate, we do want to look to roll back some of that increased sp- uh, stimulus spending, some of the increases that the Democrats won in the dollar-for-dollar dollar trades that they did in, in the Ryan Murray budget deal. Basically, what that was was for every dollar you want to increase defense spending, we want to increase domestic spending, and that was followed up on um, in the Boehner budget deal in October 2015. So um, the president is looking to roll back some of those increases in domestic programs. Um, These are not things um, that conservatives want to spend money on in the first place. So uh, this will all be good news. But of course, every dollar that... that, um, and, And also, some of this is just a decrease in the um, in the uh, in the rate of increase in some of these programs, and the Democrats um, call those a cut. So uh, we've got an uphill battle with them in terms of seeing the value of prioritizing federal spending and and balancing the budget. Um, but uh, I think for the first time in a long time, we have a president in the White House who is leading on fiscal responsibility, and we're really excited about that. Yeah, I think we all are extremely excited to see the the president's uh, budget rollout this week. Uh, however, this is not the only issue that's freaking out progressives these days. Um, Obamacare repeal awaits in the Senate right now. Um, CBO is expected to release a score on the bill shortly. Um, how do you see that playing out in the Senate in the next few weeks? Well, the Senate um, has stood up a working group. Republicans in the Senate have um, have stood up a working group of 13 Republican senators, all of which come from, from slightly different perspectives. Some conservatives are on that working group, and some more moderate Republicans are on that working group. And they're going topic by topic um, in long, uh, in-the-weed meetings, I can report, uh, just about on a daily basis, certainly multiple times a week. These senators are getting together and hashing out these issues like Medicaid expansion, tax treatment, the the, um, tax credits from the House bill, um, the regulatory scheme in Obamacare, um, and there's going to be hopefully a consensus reached. It'll probably be a compromise between um, the conservatives and the moderate Republicans, and and whatever that compromise is, it's expected that they're 
that this working group's goal is to get to a compromise that can win 51 votes in the Senate. Um, you know, exactly what that will look like, I think it's going to take us some weeks to figure that out. Um, the White House certainly has their foot on the gas. They want to see this bill produced as soon as possible. Um, and and uh, I think the senators are working as diligently as possible to get this done. I, I, I think July, maybe late June, is a pretty good expectation for a time frame when the Senate as a larger body might actually start considering this. Um Topics up for grab. So the, the uh, Obamacare dramatically expanded Medicaid, both how much money the federal government was going to contribute to it and who was eligible for it. The House bill rolls back both of those um, slowly. I think the Senate bill would like to uh, – some senators would like to get even closer to the Obamacare expansion, unfortunately. And there are some conservatives like Mike Lee uh, working behind the scenes to um, – to, to make that solution as conservative as possible. All right. Sounds like a good place to wrap. We'll keep an eye on this one. Thanks, Tommy. And we'll be back with Mass Ev. Hi, this is Rob Bluey, Vice President of Publishing and Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Signal. Check out Blueprint for Balance, a federal budget. This Heritage Foundation budget plan balances the budget within seven years and cuts spending by more than $10 trillion. To find it, go to heritage.org and search for budget or spending. We are back here at Mass Ave. Uh, we have Kelsey Harkness joining us from The Daily Signal. She has started a new video series called Underreported, um, where recently you uh, traveled down to the southern border, border to Mexico. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience and what you saw and found down there? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I recently got back from San Diego, which borders Tijuana on the Mexican side. And the reason we went down there is because San Diego actually has had border walls for quite a long time. And it's interesting because the debate over border walls under the Trump administration is so controversial. It's become so symbolic. But the truth is, a lot of areas along the border, like San Diego, built walls a long time ago, and they actually worked. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how it worked in San Diego. So in the late 80s, San Diego built what's now called the primary fence, and this is a fence that stretches some 40 miles along the border. It's not very tall. It was built to stop traffic from coming and going freely uh, across the U.S.-Mexico border. And what they realized is, is this worked. Um, at the time, a lot of gangs and, and drugs and crime were coming across the border from Tijuana to, uh, to San Diego. But what they realized is they stopped, they were successful in stopping the flow of traffic, but they also needed to stop uh, pedestrian traffic, people crossing the border illegally by walking over, just hopping over this fence. So in some areas along the border, about 13 miles, they built a secondary fence. And this fence is much taller. You can't just hop over it like people were doing with the primary wall. And it's interesting because if you look at the proposals that the Trump administration is considering right now when they talk about building border walls and fences, they're talking about having these two, sometimes three layer fences. And in San Diego, that's exactly what they have. And what this provides Border Patrol agents is some space that is United States property to catch people if they hop over the first fence. They have time while they're trying to cut through the secondary fence that's a lot higher they have time to catch them and it's just 
interesting to me uh, to look at what's happened in San Diego because since building these walls and fences, San Diego used to account for one third of all apprehensions along the border total. Wow. Today, they account for like 7% of total apprehensions. So it's interesting when people say walls and walls and fences don't work because if you look at the numbers, um, not only did they lower apprehensions in the San Diego sector, San Diego is now a beautiful vacation spot. It was not like that in the 80s. It was it was it had a lot of crime, had a lot of problems. It now they now have million dollar homes along the border. They have a shopping mall literally steps away from the fence. Whereas before this border wall existed, companies would never go in and um, and build shops and storefronts that close to the border. It just didn't happen. But today we really have this booming community that's turned into this great vacation spot. Wow, that's incredible. Um, If you think back a couple months ago, Trump's 2017 skinny budget, he included wall funding in there. Uh, It went to Congress. Congress then stripped that out, passed the budget without wall funding in it. there were several reports coming back that congressmen, congresswomen went back to their districts and came back and said that their constituencies actually didn't support this, that there actually isn't a lot of support down on the southern border for uh, for wall funding or for any type of increased border security. Um, did you have any experience with any of the local citizens around there um, and get to talk to them about their thoughts on plans for a border wall? Well, since San Diego has had a border wall, uh, they actually want to increase the border walls, the secondary fence, because that only stretches 13 miles, as I said. Uh, But I think when we talk about border security, Trump has a tendency to sometimes oversimplify things in his message, saying build a wall. But the reality is, even the experts who really support the Trump, Trump administration in this sense know that securing the border requires a lot more than just building a wall. And you really have to look at the border comprehensively. You have to look at each different sector. When I was in San Diego, I actually asked the Border Patrol agents to take me to the area of the border where the wall ends. And that was fascinating to see because it, it literally just ends. And then it turns into this mountainous, rocky region. And And the reason that Border Patrol said they don't really need a wall there is because it takes people one, two or three days to make that cross from Mexico to the United States in that section. So you don't necessarily need a wall there to catch them. But then in areas like San Diego, where you have a city right as soon as you step across the border from Tijuana to San Diego, there's no other way to regulate who's coming across the border. You don't have time to figure out who's here legally and who's here illegally. So I think that, yes, some people along the border who maybe have property along the border are very concerned what might happen to their property. But I think if the Trump administration goes about this proposal in a comprehensive way, looking at what is the best way to secure this part of the border um, for whatever whatever is is there, whether that is securing it through border walls and fences, through drones, through new technology, through cameras. There are so many options these days through more border patrol agents. I think that they will succeed, but doing nothing really is not an option. 
All right. Well, this sounds like it was a fantastic trip. Um, it sounds like it shed a lot of light on the situation. It sounds like you learned a lot uh, from a fantastic experience. On these underreported videos, how many of these are you planning on releasing? Well, I'm hoping to do at least one a month, but we actually this month already have two out. And from our trip to San Diego, we have a whole package of videos coming out. One of them already has 1.6 million views, which is just incredible to step back and think about that many people watching uh, our team's work. It's really amazing. But I think that speaks to sort of the idea behind this underreported series, that there are stories out there like what we saw in San Diego, what happened before and after they built a border wall that need to be told that aren't being told by the mainstream media. And that is where we at The Daily Signal are trying to step in. So we appreciate all the support everyone watching these videos. Um, I'm very humbled by the reaction that they're getting. And we're going to keep at it because I think there are a lot of underreported stories to be told. And I also think after visiting the border wall in San Diego, one of my big takeaways is that any reporter in Washington, D.C. or New York City covering this border wall debate really has an obligation to go down to a sector of the border that has built a wall and see what happened for themselves. Highly recommended. Make sure to go to the Daily Signal to check it out. Thanks, Kelsey. Thank you. Thanks. And we'll be back with Mass Ave. Did you know you can now listen to all of our events through SoundCloud or just by visiting our events page on heritage.org? You now have access to hundreds of events and compelling discussions on policy issues from your car, on the train, or the comfort of your own home. Visit heritage.org events for more information or search for the Heritage Foundation on SoundCloud. We are back here at Mass Ave, and we have Drew Gonchurowski of the Heritage Foundation with us to discuss the CBO score on Obamacare. Uh, the Obamacare bill is awaiting this in the Senate right now. Um, CBO is expected to release their score on the bill this week. Uh, Drew, could you shed a little bit more light onto the situation? Yeah, sure, and, and thanks for having me. Uh, so... For the, for the next week, we're, we're expecting a, a Congressional Budget Office score on Wednesday. And uh, this score, you're seeing a lot in the news lately that it could have some serious implications. They may have to, you know, re-vote on the bill in the House. And it really does seem like a lot of this is uh, sort of excitement for no- nothing, at least uh, – on first blush, so so the big the biggest issue here is that uh, any bill that the House sends to the Senate uh, to be used for reconciliation or to pass through the re- reconciliation rules uh, has to save money on the federal budget. Uh, the the law in the past or on the past score they they estimated it would save about 150 billion dollars over 10 years. Uh, they made some changes to the law after that initial score happened, and and this is sort of the issue now. Uh, so we have the the amendment that allows states to opt out of some of the essential benefits and uh, community rating, uh, which we're not too sure what will actually happen on coverage. Uh, and then and then also we we have a little extra money uh, that that was added to the bill to uh, appease the moderates. So it's it's more just trying to figure out uh, if there's going to be sufficient coverage effects within the ACA uh, as the CBO scores it, moving to the Senate, whether or not that would make the bill actually cost money versus save. Uh, It seems like it's unlikely that it will actually lead to uh, a cost estimate or an estimate that it'll actually be costs. And do you see any um, significant changes from the initial CBO score that came out or... 
Uh, so, so it's really going to come down to how the CBO looks at whether or not states are interested in applying right. for for waivers. Okay. Uh, and if 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 they think that a lot of states are going to apply for waivers, we could see some some larger coverage uh, changes either in probably in the direction that more people would be covered, uh, but but then also this this talking point that that we're seeing whether or not they think that you know increasing the cost of coverage for people with 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 riskier plans actually causes you know further coverage losses uh it's it's sort of uh we're not too sure what exactly they'll do right and just to kind of elaborate for our listeners could you kind of i guess explain more about cbo and what their mission is and what they provide to congress first why there's why there's why they're here they're here Right. So, so the the Congressional Budget Office is is a scorekeeper uh, for com- Congress effectively, and what that means is they look at pieces of legislation that that go through uh, the process of becoming a law, and and they tell Congress how much it's going to cost, how much it's going to save. Uh, in in the case of health laws, they provide a little more information too. So they'll provide what they think will happen with with coverage numbers, so how many people will gain or lose coverage, and also uh, the effect on. Uh, the general public's premiums. So with the with the Affordable Care Act or with Obamacare, uh, when when the CBO scored Obamacare, they uh, the, the the biggest thing is they got a lot of it wrong. Uh, they got the coverage number estimates wrong by almost a factor of two. And they also one specific thing that's playing into this current debate that that even uh, Doug Elmendorf at uh, CBO, who was the director at the time, admits is they got the the effect of the individual mandate wrong. Uh, and so how that plays into the, the the debate on the AHCA now is that if if you have a CBO that assumes that the individual mandate uh, is really strong uh, and we're seeing you know you know upwards of 17 to 20 million people that have either applied for a you know hardship exemption or just mm-hmm. uh, have chose to take the penalty it's suggesting that this you know the the mandate isn't as strong as the CBO projected initially and and they're still projecting in these in these AHCA scores that it's really strong uh, you're, you're talking five million people are going to lose coverage or opt out of coverage in Medicaid in the first year, and no Medicaid changes happen in this law until 2020. Hmm. Uh, so, so it kind of doesn't really make sense when you have a program that effectively is uh, free for the individual. It's paid for by the federal government. Uh, you take away the individual mandate, and five million of those people say, "Well, I don't need Medicaid anymore." Uh, that's that's what their first score of the HCA did. Uh, so it sounds kind of like some of the pulling the score together is looking into a crystal ball and trying to predict what people will do. Is that a correct assessment of it? Or Yes, okay. it, it, it definitely is. And, and on healthcare, there is a lot of uncertainty around yeah. it. So I, I don't fault them for necessarily getting things wrong. It's, right. it's a very difficult thing to score. And I think, uh, especially on the Hill and the general public, need to recognize that it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult to score these large pieces of legislation, especially when changes uh, don't really have any past experience to go off of. Is whoever's heading CBO is, is that person appointed by the president or is it confirmed by Congress? How does that work? I, I believe it's through the congressional process. It's com- it's confirmed by by Congress. Uh, it's oh, I'm trying to remember his name right now. I, Keith Hall is currently the uh, the CBO director and and he was brought in during the Obama administration. Uh, but I believe that he is no, uh, thought to be more more uh, center or sympathetic to the. To the Republicans, not not, and the CBO is supposed to be nonpartisan in general. And uh, 
they're, they're supposed to be there to give sort of an objective view on on the costs and benefits of various laws. So uh, I, I think that they tend to try to do their best, and uh, sometimes it's not they don't they don't always get it right, but but they are trying. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that seems like a good note to leave it on. We'll find out what the score is later this week. Thanks so much for joining us, Drew. And that's a wrap for this week. Be sure to check us out on Facebook at Mass Ave and tune in next week. Hi, this is Rob Bluey, Vice President of Publishing and Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Signal. If you liked hearing about the issues that Washington's not discussing, check out Underreported, a brand new video series from The Daily Signal looking at other issues that the mainstream media forgot to mention.